0: Welcome to your Sprinkle with Hope Podcast. The purpose of our podcast is to spread hope, light, and love. It is important for us to be engaged in this work so we can help motivate, uplift, and inspire you. Whether it is listening to us or hearing one of our amazing guests, our hope is that what you hear encourages you, strengthens you, and helps you discover additional tools to create a better life for yourself. Share this with family and friends, leave us a review or rating, I know that each small action you take to spread this message is appreciated. Subscribe to our podcast or YouTube channel so you don't miss anything. Welcome to the Sprinkled with Hope podcast. Welcome back to your Sprinkle with Hope podcast and your host, Jason. And we are so excited today to have Portia Louder with us, our guest. And she's amazing. I've, you know, I've been introduced to her story and just the things that she's doing. And she's got some great things going. I'll let her kind of introduce herself and share her what part of her background she would like to share with you guys. But Portia, we're so appreciative that you're able to come on with us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So <laughs> you want me to share a little bit about me then?
0: Yeah, just you know, just a, a brief synopsis of, of a little bit about your background and kind of where you're at right now.
1: Sounds good. So I am um, I currently live in Highland with my husband Chad. We have five children, three grandchildren. And then I also have a son that I gave up for adoption that we've been able to reconnect with. So that's been something lately that's been really special for us. But I will go back a little bit. Um, I grew up here in Utah, in southern Utah, in Richfield, actually, small town outside the outskirts of Richfield. So it's really small. (laughs) And I am the oldest of seven children. Um, I was baptized a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints but we were pretty non-traditional in our home. My parents were kind of like the hippies back before it was cool, you know, to be a hippie. (laughs) So, so we ate a lot of healthy food and things like that. But, um, I would say almost anti-establishment. So organizations going to school boundaries, that kind of stuff wasn't our big thing, creativity and things like that were more what our family was into. Um, if I could identify something early that was difficult for me, it was just I didn't know my worth. And I think Mm -hmm. that's something that so many people struggle with. Um, and I, it's the thing that changes everything, right? Like once I knew my value and for me, that came, uh, it came from God for me. And it also came through a lot of pain and struggle, but, um, and through humility and coming to know my worth changed the way I saw others changed the way I saw my life and my purpose and. Um, I've come to believe the most important thing I can do for my children and and the people around me is to be firmly grounded in that, to know my values so that they have that person that can see it in them and that that's the model of that. But uh, at a young age, I I struggled with relationships. So even probably 12 or 13, I was dating older boys. Being the oldest of seven children in such a non-conforming family, I think I almost took over the role of parent because there wasn't Mm. that. Yeah. you know, the parent in the home, I become that, um, and was probably looking to get married pretty early. That's what <laughs> you do, right. Yeah. <clears throat> Which did happen. Um, I was, I will quit going to church at 13. I just didn't feel like I fit in. Um, I was pregnant by the time I was 17 and, Like when I look back at my life, I'm like, I just really have compassion for myself. I'm like, you poor girl, why did you do that all so hard, the hard way, you know, but uh, so I'm grateful that I can, you know, be a little bit more, um, compassionate with myself than I used to be. But, and I, and I've had the opportunity to be around, um, other women that are in that situation now. And because of that, I just want to put my arms around them and say, you have this incredible future don't you give up, you know, um, for me, it went from one child at 17. I was, um, married and divorced, had two children, was a single mother at 22. Excuse me. Let me grab some water. And at that point I, um, I got into another relationship and ended up getting pregnant again. And, I felt like I, I was old enough to know and mature enough to know that I my kids deserve better than what I was providing for them. You know, I, mm-hmm. And so I made that decision um, in prayer, which wasn't something that I was that familiar with, but because of the seriousness of the situation, I got on my knees and I asked for help. And my prayer was, um, I don't know what to do. You know, I... Um, I want to do better for my kids than I am. And I felt this warmth and comfort come over me. And I knew that the child was special, but he wasn't mine to keep. I knew it would be a boy. And I knew that I needed to find the right family for him. And um, that was a special experience. I went to several different places, attorneys, and I finally was sitting late one evening in an adoption office and a file came in. It had just come in and they hadn't even marked out the names or anything. And and I said, I want to see it. It was like the last one, you know, and I said, I want to see it. And it had a picture of a family in front of a Christmas tree, and they were all just cuddled together. And they already had three boys. So the the lawyer said, there's no way that you can pick this family. And I said, well, that's the family. (laughs) Like, I don't know what to tell you, you know. And so he made me go to several other appointments with people, potential parents, and then I said set up the lunch so we went to lunch and I knew right then like I just knew you know it's never been a question for me um I adore his parents his mother and I she has been so good to me like she's taught me how to be a mother in so many ways because of how what a wonderful mother she is and she's loved me
2: you know which was
1: not something I expected her to love me so much and that um has been very tender for me um but after I had David, I was even emptier than I had been. And I think I didn't get counseling. I wasn't active in the church and I didn't have a real firm relationship with my heavenly father. And I started to use prescription drugs heavily. I ended mm-hmm. up going from prescri- prescription drugs to street drugs. And and I reached a bottom that was um, was very, like I've had two times in my life where I felt so in a hole. And this was one of them. And I, I remember... Um, coming home late one night and my mom was there with my son and he had been crying for me for hours. And my mom just said, how could you do this? Like, I don't even know, you know, what it would take for you to change if this isn't enough for you. And mm-hmm. that was a turning point for me. I walked downstairs with my son and I got on my knees and I begged God, take this from me, give me strength. I don't have, Yeah. show me the way out. I'll do whatever you want me to do, you know? Um, and I, I reached out to the bishop across the street who I had never met. And I said, please help me. I don't know what I need to do, but I'll do whatever it is. And he was amazing. You know, he changed my life. He got me involved in the 12-step program. And man, it was really hard. I remember thinking this will be the hardest thing I ever have to do. It, it wasn't. <laughs> Sadly, I wish I could say it was, but it was. Don't ever say that, but (laughs) but this is the hardest thing I'll ever have to do. But I I wonder sometimes if people aren't like so unwilling to do hard things and there's so much growth and beauty in the transformation of doing hard things. Right. Like
0: so true. Yeah.
1: I was like nine months sober and I remember feeling freer than I'd ever felt. It was like so hard and I had grown so much as a person and geez, I just felt free and happy and I. I uh, good things happen when you do those hard things and turn your life, you know, around. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So true. I can attest to that. <laughs> yeah, that's so true, Portia. Thank you for opening up. Um, that that's a lot of things to unpack. <laughs> that's just the
1: first half. Yeah, that's just the first
2: <laughs> half. But if I if we could, let's go back to something that you said that Jason and I we always. Uh, tell our guests and remind them that they have worth, that they're valued, that they're loved, that all of that. And you, you had mentioned that you didn't feel like you were worth really anything. Was there a defining moment in your life that you, that, that sort of changed for you? And you realized, wait, Portia has worth and all of that. So I'm just curious if there is a defining moment or if it was a process.
1: Okay. So um, it's interesting that you asked that because I, um, we're going to skip ahead a little bit and we can go back and forth however you guys want but um, I was at the MTC a couple nights ago I get the opportunity and it's such a beautiful opportunity to go in and share some of my experiences with these new missionaries. And that is the most important thing that I can share is how, you know, coming to know my worth, because it really doesn't just change you. It changes the way you see everyone else because you can see their worth too. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it just, you become a whole different person. It's like my soul opened up and I could, I felt so much love for others and I could see their incredible potential. So, you know um, the later half of my life, I I've had, like I said, there were two times in my life where I felt like I was in a deep hole. One was in my addiction Um, I had some years of sobriety and things were going pretty good for me, but I relapsed and I ended up making some really poor decisions, real estate fraud, and I ended up going to prison. And when I got to prison, um, just so you know what prison is like, I mean, we can go back and talk about this too, but like, it is like you are a nobody. (laughs) (laughs) you don't have a name you wear the same clothes as everybody else you're not a mother you're not a wife I'm not a photographer I'm nothing no title matters we are which I found to be beautiful later because we're all on the same level but at that point in time just the, the walking into a very cold and cinder block world that was completely different than what I was used to was a shock. And everybody looked unhappy to see me. Like nobody looked like, hey, yeah. welcome. You know? Right. Yeah, come on <laughs> <They're always in. laughs> like, Yeah, yeah, it wasn't like that. However, it became that way for me in time. Mm. But, this, but initially when I walked in, um, I was devastated for several days. I just almost couldn't even get off the bunk. I just laid there, just curled up, like, how can I do this? It seemed like a week was impossible. Who could, you know, and I was sentenced to seven years in prison. So it was daunting, overwhelming, seemed impossible. Mm-hmm. So I, late one night, I got on my knees and I just said, Heavenly Father, I am nobody to anybody. I am in such a deep hole. I have made so many mistakes. I have, I, you know, I, my heart just aches for my children but on top of that, I can see now, like the reality of my situation of how far I've fallen is very extreme. And I don't know if I can do this on my own. I mean, I'm pretty sure I can't, but I don't know how I can do it anyway at all. I need yeah. help. I, and I said, I feel so worthless, you know, I guess the I mean, when you don't have the worldly accolades telling you who you are, I was so strict of all that. And I said, I need to know who I am to you. And I had an experience where I felt like I was kneeling before the Savior. I could just—I mean, I had nothing important about me, just me, like anyone else, kneeling before the Savior. And and I felt more loved than I have ever felt in my whole life. Like and my husband mm. loves me a lot, you know. Yeah, pretty special. <laughs> I mean, he must because he stayed with me through a lot <laughs> of hard things. <laughs> but he—but I felt wrapped in love, and I felt this like way more, I knew my worth and I knew how important my purpose on this earth was. And here I am in the lowliest of situations. And I share that with people and say, if I, a sinner who's made almost every mistake, sitting in federal prison, kneeled before the savior and knew how valuable I was to him, your worth is so incredible. Go to him. Now, I'm not going to say that that was just a one time deal for me, because honestly, I had four and a half years and there were days that just my heart hurt so much. But that was a, a solid place to stand on because I knew I couldn't quit. I had an important purpose. I knew how valuable I was. So I kept myself very protected. You know, I was fortunate. I had I mean, I had scriptures, I had garments, I had things that I I could really hold on to. And I built a relationship with my heavenly father that is so valuable to me. And I would never undo what I went through, but I would never recommend it to anybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Lesson (laughs)
0: learned. This this is not the path, right? Like there's a different way to learn these things. (laughs)
1: Yeah. But some of the things I learned, I feel like I waited my whole life to learn like the,
0: you
1: know, the simplicity and beauty of life without material things. I mean, gosh. I had been fighting I mean I went to prison because I was trying to make more money and when I got to prison I realized how silly that was that was nothing important is in the material things you know so the lessons were so valuable but it was very painful too
0: so. Yeah thank you seriously for sharing this I, I mean opening up and being vulnerable is tough I know you, you know I I've struggled with addiction before in my past and and that's mm-hmm. just not my life anymore and hasn't been for a long time so mm-hmm. I can understand and and appreciate where you've come from and having that vulnerability and being vulnerable. Um, Let's talk about, you you know, your time in prison and just some of the the friendships and and how you showed other people their worth and value, because that's probably a place where I'm assuming, uh, you know, I can only assume Mm -hmm. some people just don't feel like they have any worth. And and I know that I've listened to some of your stories and things like that and stuff that you shared and friends that you made there. Um, yeah. And How did you help them kind of find their, their worth and value?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked that because, um, cause I don't know that I've ever gone into detail other than I share it in my book, but I don't know that I've gone into a lot of detail about this. I mean, I write about it, but in a podcast or interview and I, and I should more because, um, Truly, my life was transformed by these beautiful women who were so kind to me. And I, if there's one thing that I want to be, it's a connector from the outside world to the inside world because my whole view changed of humanity and of people. You know, starting with this, I walk in when I finally got the courage to get out of my cell and go sit at a table. I was so devastated. All I could do is cry. I just go. <laughs> <laughs> Sit there like that, you know. I'm yep. looking out the window that I, t- I try to breathe. And this this little sweet girl next to me that I don't know where she is now, but her name and I don't know her real name. She went by Bubbles. She looked over at me and she goes, "Honey, you're gonna be okay. Just keep breathing. The pain will go away. We all go through that. You're gonna be okay." I don't know her, and she knew what I've been through. You know how kind is that. My roommate who came in and said, You have to get out of the cell. I'll go for a walk with you. You're hurting too much. They're gonna come and check on you and put you in an isolation cell. They're gonna think you're suicidal. You know, I said, I'm not, I just can't move. I just hurt too much, you know. And she's like, You have to eat. She'd go get me a little bagel and come back here. Here's some food. Like, these are sweet people, you know. You everyone hears all this hard stuff about people in prison. We were all each other had. They don't know me. So here I am feeling so just so awful and they're just encircling me in kindness and love. Um I met women that (laughs) my one of my closest friends, Macy, you know, she lived in Utah, but her parents were heroin addicts. And her um how strange it is that we grew up like 30 minutes apart and yet she was homeless. They lived in the back of a car most of the time. Her parents were lived in Pioneer Park some of the time. And they robbed different places to live. I mean, just a really hard life for her. And yet she graduated high school. I mean, to me, I'm like, how many people in those circumstances could graduate high school, right?
0: Yeah, right.
1: Um, and when she got to prison, she, she, I worked in education and she came down and she goes, can you help me? She goes, I'm here to learn how to live a normal life. And get an education. So anything I can do to learn is what I want to do. And I'm like, yes, I can. You know. And then I find out she's from Utah. And I we <laughs> just became best friends. I just loved her, and she taught me humility and just compassion and strength. And we're still so close. You know, she's getting out soon, and she has gotten an education, and she's learned how to live a normal life. I mean, she's learned those boundaries and the structure and the things she didn't get as a child, and. Um, she's an amazing person. And her brother, now the two of them grew up together, both as drug addicts, and now he's sober and he's making a life out here. And I mean, to me, that's just the most amazing thing, you know, to see my friend, Christina, who I just loved when she got to prison, I just loved her right away. Well, she, her father had committed suicide. Her mother had died from an overdose. She'd had so many losses and yet she was kind to everyone she met, Mm -hmm. you know? She got out. She got a job at a, a a care center for the elderly. Met a woman who was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints who had had a stroke, and she told Christina, "I'm only still alive because I want you to get baptized, and then I can die. So you need to get baptized." Wow, wow! Because <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I've been waiting to meet you. <laughs> and Christina calls me, and she goes. I'm meeting with the missionaries. And I mean, when she was in prison, I knew she was Christian. We prayed together, but I wasn't trying to convert her because she actually had so many more things figured out than me. Like she would pray every night for 45 minutes in a folding chair, and I'm looking at her, going, I have a few things to learn from this girl, you know. <laughs> <laughs> she's so beautiful. Well, her light is so amazing. So she goes to this to NA meetings because she's an addict when she gets out of prison and she meets another man named Woody, who'd been to prison, and he goes, I just love your light. What religion are you? And she goes, "Well, I'm meeting with these missionary kids. They're so sweet. If you want to meet them too, you can. <laughs> they both get baptized." You know? <laughs> wow. wow. I, I flew out there and I sat next to them and Cecile, who passed away shortly after Christina, got baptized.
0: <laughs> wow. She said,
1: "Thank you." She said, "Now I'm going to go be with my husband." You know? It wow. was such a special experience, and yeah. I just felt like. The Lord had honored me to allow me to walk through this with these people. Like, it was like, we knew each other before we came to earth. We found each other here, you know, and I'll have to tell you, I, I shared that at the MTC and I shared it, um, on social media and a guy from Indiana, who's a Christian reached out and he goes, I don't know if that's your religion or just your belief, but I believe it too. Can you tell me more about that thing where we know each other before we come to earth? I said, yes, I can. So we've been talking on the phone too, you know, and to me, this is the beauty of our heavenly father connecting his children. So, you know, I, I just feel like I got, I met the very most beautiful souls and I could see their light and their beauty because heavenly father helped me see mine. And I, and I don't know that it was anything I did except just being my best self, you know, just, just repenting and becoming my best self and allowing the savior to transform my life and in that process I started to see that best self in others too
2: so uh, love 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 this discussion i'm so happy that you're just completely opened up and really, <laughs> i love your person does now.
1: that for you you just like throw <laughs> it to I, the wit
2: <laughs> i i trust you on that one i'm i don't want to
1: want to find Um, out
2: (laughs) but the, the thing that keeps coming to my mind is as we're talking about these things and you're sharing some hard difficult things that you're sitting in this prison but you're you're seeing the value of everyone else and you're connecting with people and it doesn't it doesn't only happen in prison it can be anywhere and I just love that you have taken those lessons and are really opening up to other people and sharing your story and all that I I have just loved this discussion. So you had <laughs> mentioned a book that you had written. Let's talk a little bit about that, what the title is, what why you wrote it, how people can find it, and so forth.
1: Yeah, well, like, I mean, I didn't do great in school, so I was super intimidated about the prospect of writing a book, but I love to read, you know, and um, when I got home, I started, first of all, I was nervous to come home. I mean, I was excited, but I had gained a whole different perspective and I didn't want to lose it. And and in an interesting twist, at the end of my sentence, I was, uh, they called me in and told me I'd be coming home June or um, May 9th. Well, my son, I had missed my son's high school years. He was graduating at the end of May. So we were excited. Our family was prepared and ready. And then they called me May 7th, two days before my family was coming to pick me up, called me back in and said, we're going to keep you another three months. There's not room on the probation log or whatever. And I'm like, I'm going to throw up. I just looked at him. I said, I can't do this to my family. We've been through so much already, please. And they're like, yeah, it's just what it is, you know. So... um, So I cried every morning. (laughs) I went to the chapel. I was like, Heavenly Father, I did my part. I did what you asked me to do. Why? I know you can fix it. You know, I was so sad. And a man came in um, that was a volunteer, a member of the church. This was, I was at three different prisons. This was at the end in California. And so we had volunteers that came in and he said, Let me give you a blessing. I said, Oh, I, you know, I was just so, my heart just hurt. And he said, um, he put his hands on my head and he he said, your heavenly father wants to give you a lot more than three more months of freedom. He said, you are one of his choice daughters and his, he has endowed you with strength to get through this. And then he said this to me, and this is something I had been praying for and praying for. I did not want to forget what I had been through because I had had all these amazing experiences. And he goes, and you are promised by your heavenly father that you will not forget. What you've been through and you'll be able to share your experiences and it will make a difference in the lives of others especially the youth and I was like how did he know you know <laughs> so then I got off the phone and went and called Chara. I when I got done I called my husband I go we're fine we got to get through this this is fine you know Heavenly yeah. Father's yeah. In it with <laughs> oh I would have redone that three months over and over because when I got out my I did not re- I did not forget anything like my heart was so full and I they made me go work at a job where I can make the best money I could when I was first out I for like three months I was still under the VOP custody and then I got off that and so I worked as a photographer which is what I did when I was younger and and then I I felt pretty impressed that I should try to find a job doing like I went to a treatment center and I started working in a treatment center I just needed to stay connected to the same type of thing I was doing in prison right Mm -hmm. so I worked graves and I just I started writing a book (laughs) and I mean honestly I I didn't think I could. And then I wrote an outline and I was like, but I know, you know, and I, all the experiences were so in my heart that I just, and in fact, my sister and I last night, we were at um, an expo center talking about, I was speaking and someone came up and said, how did you write a book? And she goes, it's actually a miracle. She would send me <laughs> chapters every week and I would read them and I would say, how did you become a good writer? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, Heavenly father, but um, it wasn't just, I needed to share these beautiful women's stories like i needed to share the transformation that took place in my life and how loved we all are and i just don't think that story had been told like you hear all the garbage about prison but do you hear about the kindness and the connection and the compassion and i was like so my book is called living louder which my last name's louder and it's titled the subtitle is a compassionate journey through federal prison and i have people say a compassionate journey i'm like yes because that's what it was yeah yes so
2: beautiful <laughs> it,
0: yeah it's awesome I, I love your story and I, and I hope that people get your book and continue yeah. to follow you and 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 just see see how uh, you, you know you can make your life whatever you want I think right. sometimes people think oh there's no way I could do that or be that way right like I but it's through those challenging times that that's where the beauty of all these other things that you you know you have right you know when a fire comes in and and scorches the ground you know then trees and flowers and bushes and things start to grow right and that's just how life is i mean we we can blossom those things through through those difficult and challenging times portia this has been awesome so near the end of our our discussion Mm -hmm. um And again, we could probably go on for another half an hour and and not even touch near the amount, but we'll, we'll have to have you on again. But, uh, so near the end, we, we, what we like to, uh, do is what we call the double down dose. And Uh so it's two questions, two final questions that we have. I'll ask one, and then Shane will ask a follow-up to that. We talk a lot about hope. And so what is your definition of hope or how would you define hope?
1: You have to ask a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> the second
0: one might be harder. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be harder.
1: Uh Oh, <laughs> I don't know how to, um, I don't know how to put it into words. I'm going to try. So last night I got up and I spoke um, and I shared some of the hardest things that I've been through because it was at a, an addiction recovery kind of program. And One thing I love about the addiction recovery program is that when you recover, all the hardest things you've been through actually are your biggest blessing to everybody else. Because what you're saying is I've been through all this and I have a beautiful life now. So if I did all that and I can recover, so can you, there's hope. And to me, that's hope. Like when I walked into an addiction recovery meeting and I felt so broken and hopeless and I saw somebody in the front of the room with light in his eyes, and he had two years of recovery, I knew now if he did, it, I could do it because I, I didn't have that connection right then with my heavenly father. But if somebody was standing in front of me that had the light of our father in heaven, then I knew there was a path for me. So last night when I got done, an older gentleman came up, I was just standing to the side and he just grabbed both of my hands and he held my hands and he just looked in my eyes. And I didn't say a word and he didn't say a word. And it was for about 60 seconds, which you would think is kind of awkward. But what I knew was that his soul was saying thank you to me. You know, that it was like, you did it. I can do it. We can do it. And that to me is what hope is. That we are in this together. I mean, of course we have a loving Heavenly Father who loves his children, no matter what, no matter where we are. And he is always cheering us on and he is always available, but sometimes it's hard to reach that, that place. But on this earth, we have each other to help us get there. And so um, if I were to define hope, it would be to see other people's light and to know that all things are possible because someone else is already doing it.
2: There's, there are so many lessons that I'm getting from this discussion. I just love everything that you're saying. And it really is true that we're all in this together and we can take our life choices that might've been wrong at the time, but we can turn those around and teach other people. So the second part of the double down dose is, is a in most cases is a really tough, um, Question to answer for people, but it's so simple, and we love asking the question. The second question is, how would you define love?
1: Oh, you guys ask these, <laughs> like to me, like hope and love are the most valuable things. You know, they're just so valuable because when you have hope, you can get through anything, and when you have that love, it's it's like, how do you define it? Um, you know, in my younger years when I was struggling, I felt really disconnected from people. Like, I remember uh, going into a room and I'd be like, I wonder what they're thinking, what they're thinking. How can I, you know, I one up them, they're judging me, I got to judge them first, whatever, <laughs> you know, I just had all those thoughts. Um, when I was in prison, I got to a place where I decided to take a hundred percent responsibility for my life. And I actually only did that because I saw someone else get up and do it. Like they literally stood up and said, I'm here a hundred percent because of the terrible choices I made and the people I hurt. And they laid it all out. And I was like, (gasps) That was powerful. I want to do that, right? Yeah. And after I did that exercise, it took me six months. I made a spreadsheet and it was like full on a lot. Like all the things I'd ever done to hurt anyone, you know? <laughs> and then I, went, I I picked a group of girls and I said, will you guys let me share this with you down at the rec yard? So I shared it, said a prayer, buried it in the rec yard and said, now I'm going home without it. It's not mine anymore. You know, I said it. Yeah. And, Love and, that. Um, and after that experience, my soul opened up like my love, my connection. Like I could just, a new girl could come into prison and I'd just be like, hi, and put my arms around her. You know, I just felt so much love for people. It was like, I cleared out the wreckage of my, you know, my pain and stuff. And um, I, I remember when I, I was in a treatment program and we, it was kind of difficult because we would there were just hard things that we were talking about and the girls would always come in and say, I'm sitting next to miss louder. You know, I want to sit by her. And one girl would just sit, lean into me. And she goes, I just feel so happy when I'm by you, you know? <laughs> and I, and I thought that's And I looked at her and I said, but that's because I love you. And she goes, and I know you do, you know? And I think, I think maybe that's how I would define it. When somebody sits next to you, you know, as far as a person and knows that they're loved. Like, it doesn't have to be a word. It's just who you are. You just love people. But that comes from our father in heaven. It comes from knowing our worth. You know, it comes directly from him. And it's, it's the energy of the whole universe. I mean, it's, I would sit outside under a tree and just feel so loved. You know, it's the energy of, of all creation because his, his power is through love. And so, but I don't know how to define it other than just that i feel all the time you know <laughs>
2: yeah yep again yeah, that that question seems so simple it's to define. <laughs> it, it really is and we love just the raw what we get from that we could totally script that and say we're going to ask the question and every guest is going to pause for a second oh. <laughs> they're going to look up and think I've never been asked that question.
1: Yeah, it's a good um, question. So,
2: and we just love hearing the perspective of our guests. So Portia, seriously, thank you so much for joining us and opening up. We we hope that you feel a part of our podcast family now. Um, like Jason had mentioned, we'd love to have you on again. We just had a discussion, <laughs> but there's so many things we could dive deeper into. So yeah, thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been a joy. And if you ever, yeah, I love to talk about hope and you guys have
0: been great so thank you. Yeah, we really do appreciate it and, it, and it, as you were kind of talking about love one of the things that kind of stood out to me was something I heard the other day. And we often hear love is unconditional, right? And, mm-hmm. and somebody said it in a different way they said unconditional in the fact that you love another person and they may not love you back. Mm-hmm. That is love. Yeah. And I, and it kind of hit me like, yeah, that because unconditional gets thrown out there a lot and right. we hear that oftentimes, but it's that you love another person and aren't expecting them to love you back. Yeah. And, and so that I I was just thinking about that as you were talking about love. And
1: sometimes I think too, you know, when we, when we have enough inside of us to give, we can give somebody else until they know they are like we can see them and love them in a way until they love themselves and that's the beauty of of mm-hmm. coming to know your own worth and how loved you are you know like i i say all the time i love my husband but my heavenly father comes first like i know <laughs> who i am to him you know <laughs> like, i love him i'm so grateful for him but i'm like i know where i get my strength <laughs> so
0: oh, seriously it's been such a great conversation. Portia and we're so happy to to, that you uh, were able to come on with us today
1: well you guys have a great rest of your day and and let's do it again